I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture, please. Turn to John chapter 12 and Mark chapter 14. So open your Bibles to John 12. That's where we'll begin. And then put a marker at Mark chapter 14, and we'll flip over there later in the message. We're continuing the series, The Blessed Life, which has to do with every area of our life, yet we're focusing on the financial part. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want to say something to you as your pastor, and I want you to to hear me very clearly. I am very, very, very proud of you, because you're catching it. You're catching a biblical principle that will change your life, will bless you, and will affect the kingdom of God. Just like if I were to preach on prayer, and, and many of you come up to me and you said, I'm catching it, I'm hearing things I've never heard before, God's doing a work in my heart, it'd be the same thing, because you're catching a principle in the Bible, such as prayer, that will change your life and will build the kingdom. And that's what we're talking about in this series, all right? Today's message is, am I generous? Am I generous? And I put it in the first person, because if anybody asks you this next week, what was the sermon on, I didn't want it to be in the second person. I didn't want you to say, well, the title was, Are You Generous? (laughs) The reason is, I wanted each of us to answer this question, including me. And I want you to think about it, even this next week, when you think about the title, I want you to think about this question, am I generous? Now look at John chapter 12, beginning verse 1. John 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, and this is the Passover where Jesus was crucified, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. It's been about two months, by the way, since Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was, and the story of it is in John 11. But there's two months between John 11 and John 12, all right? Verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, watch verse 6 carefully, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial, for the poor you have with you always, but me... You do not have always. Okay, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. Because what we see here is generosity. We see two hearts. We see a generous heart and a selfish heart. And both hearts are on display for us. They are displayed for us. I want you to notice, though, what displays a heart. And that's anything to do with giving. She came and gave an extravagant gift. That displayed her heart. And then the person that despised her for doing that, his heart was displayed as well. Now, I think about two questions when I think about this. Why did she give such an extravagant gift? Why did she do this? And second question is, why did it bother Judas so much? And why did it bother him that much? Well, here's three things I want to talk to you about, all right? Number one, the enemy of generosity. The enemy of generosity. And the enemy of generosity is selfishness. 
Every one of us are born selfish. Each of us is born selfish. We have selfish from the time we're children. When we're little children, I've told you, I think the first word that a child learns is mine. And they learn to pronunciate it probably better than any other word. Mine, mine, mine. And the problem is that many of us never grow out of that. We just keep saying mine. And that also is one of the most difficult things in a marriage to deal with, is selfishness. Selfishness promotes self. Selfishness looks out for self. Selfishness protects self. Let me say, think about these three things. Selfishness promotes self, protects self, and provides for self. Promotes self, protects self, and provides for self. Now, here's the problem. God is the one who's supposed to promote us, protect us, and provide for us. And when selfishness is trying to promote, protect, and provide, it is taking the place of God. And that's exactly what selfishness does. This is the stronghold of selfishness. And I use the word stronghold because it's like the enemy has a fortified place in our lives and it starts as children and he tries to fortify that place even more and more as we get older and older. Judas uses an excuse here. And I want you to hear this excuse. Why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Have you ever had that thought? A few years ago, uh, I was in the car with a friend of mine who's a pastor of another church, and we were driving by a nice home, and uh, he said, look at that house. And I said, yeah, um, actually, uh, that's a friend of mine that owns that house, and he's a really strong believer, really loves the Lord, just like that. And this pastor said, he ought to sell that and give it to the poor. And uh, I kind of let go on him. I don't let go on people a lot, but sometimes they need it. And I felt like he needed it. So I just said to him, you don't care about the poor. And he said, what? I said, you don't care about the poor, because if you did, you'd sell your house and give it to the poor. (laughs) And that guy right there probably gives a larger percentage of his income than you do. And then I said to him, you know who started this thing about that ought to be sold and given to the poor? That quote is from Judas, the one who betrayed our Lord. And this guy said, I'm sorry. (laughs) And so we actually talked about it in a good way after that, after I rebuked him sternly. But anyway, we talked about it. Think about it. Come on now. Have you ever said that? Have you ever made the statement? Because we normally make that statement about someone who's, someone's house that's bigger than ours. He ought to sell that and give it to the poor. That's a selfish statement. Let me tell you why. He's, Judas is trying to cover up his own motives by pointing the finger at someone else's extravagance. That's what selfishness does. Have you ever had the thought? That's selfishness. It is the oldest excuse for selfishness known. And the person who came up with it was Judas. You understand that Judas was looking for a kingdom, and he was looking for a place in that kingdom. You know how I know that? All of the disciples were looking for Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. Look at all the conversation they had about the kingdom. Lord, are you going to set up the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? When is the kingdom coming? And then one time Jesus said, what are you all talking about? And they didn't want to tell. They were talking about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And even after the resurrection, they said, is it at this time you're going to set up the kingdom? And you know what his answer was? It's none of your business when Dad and I set up the kingdom. Quit thinking about it. 
So this is Judas. He's thinking about it. But let me explain to you why this is important. This is a brand of Christianity that's being preached today. In other words, it is being preached today that we serve God, not for what we can do for God, but for what God can do for us. And I want to say something. Serving God is not about what God can do for us. It's about what we can do for God. It's the kingdom. It's laying down our lives for the kingdom. And the reason Judas was so upset is because he was taking money out and he wanted more money for himself. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Bible says he was a thief and he had the money box. Have you ever thought about who gave him the money box? Who was the leader of this group? Jesus. Do you think Jesus knew that he was a thief when he gave him the money box? <laughs> Jesus formed him in his mother's womb. Jesus knew Judas. Matter of fact, some of you say, well, did he know he was going to betray him? Oh, yeah. He said years. He said about a year before he was betrayed, did not I choose 12 of you and want to use a devil? He knew. So why would he do this? Let me tell you why. He didn't do it to set Judas up to fail. He did it to set him up to succeed. He gave him responsibility in the area of his weakness so that he could overcome that. And you say, well, yeah, but that's his weakness. He, he's weak in that area. He'll be tempted. Well, let me tell you some great news about God. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow. This is a great promise. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So you may be tempted in the area of your weakness, but God will never allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. And will with every temptation make a way of escape. So we've got to come to the place that we understand this. Now, I think there's a correlation here, by the way, with tithing. I want you to notice what Judas was doing. He was taking money out of, in essence, the offering box. Jesus was in traveling ministry, so they had boxes like we have at the back, but they kept it, took it with them. See? So they got an offering box. People are given to support the ministry. He's taking money out of the offering box. Now, <clears throat> would anyone here take money out of our offering boxes? No. You definitely wouldn't take money out of the church. You wouldn't take God's money, would you? You wouldn't take money out of the offering box. None of you here would... Take or keep God's money, then you'd be a thief. Thief. Think about Malachi. Here's what God's own words were. You're robbing me. You're stealing from me. Is it the same thing to not put money in the offering box that belongs to God as to take it out? I think it is. So you need to understand there's an enemy of generosity, and that enemy is selfishness, and we all have to deal with that. Here's the second thing I want to talk to you about, the extravagance of generosity. The extravagance of generosity. This was one year's wage. One year's wages. Uh, the word denarii is the plural of denarius. Denarius means one day's wage. There was a coin that was called a denarius, but they actually changed the value of that coin with inflation. 
so that it would be one day's wage. And 300 denarii was often referred to as one year's wage. Because by the time you had the Sabbaths and holidays and things like that, it would be about 300 days. So 300 denarii refers to one year's salary. So I want you to think about that because every person here can relate to that. Every person here can relate to it. She gave an offering of one year's salary to the Lord. Now, would, would that be an extravagant gift for you? To give one year's salary to the church? Sure it would. But let's take it further. Would it be extravagant to take one year's salary, buy perfume with it, and pour that on someone's feet? That'd be pretty extravagant. That's what she did. This is an extravagant gift. What gift could you give to God that would be extravagant? Now, I want you to think about that. How much money will impress God? Would a million dollars impress Him? Would a hundred million dollar gift impress? Would a hundred billion? And before you start thinking, well, now that might. Let me just remind you what He owns. He owns it all. Right? And... Let me remind you about his house. We have a description of it in the Bible. His streets are paved with gold. He's saying that's extravagant. And by the way, God didn't do this to show off. He just did it because he's got so much of it, he's got to have do something with it. And there are no potholes in heaven. His walls, the foundation of his walls, are diamonds. He just got them lying around. They're just all over the place. And his gates are made of pearl. So how much money could you give God to impress him? Nothing. No amount would impress God, right? Well, let me show you scripture. Because all of you can give God something that will impress him. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 3 says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, this is Paul talking about the Macedonian churches, to the Corinthian church. Yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift. This was an offering that they had taken up. And the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they, watch this, they first, notice the word first, gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us, by the will of God. Every one of you can give something to God that will impress Him. You can give you. It's the most extravagant gift you have. You can give yourself. But let me simply remind you that your wallet comes with you. Because if you say, God, you can have all of me except my money, that's not all of you. That's why God says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because he knows that. Now, there are three levels of giving in the Bible. If you go through the Bible... Old Testament, New Testament, there are three levels of giving in the Bible. Tithe, offerings, and extravagant offerings. All through the Bible, you can find examples of each. Tithe, offerings, and extravagant offerings. I remember when I saw this in Scripture, I got so excited. And I called a friend of mine who actually has the gift of giving. And I said to him, I I just saw something in the Scripture. Did you know there are three levels of giving in the Bible? And he said, yep. Now, you have to understand something. When a preacher finds something in the Bible, we don't think anybody else knows it. And I said to him, oh, you don't neither. You don't. I just found this today. 
He said, I know what they are. I said, all right, name them. He said, tithes, offerings, and painful offerings. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty close to extravagant offerings. By the way, most believers, according to surveys, most believers never get to the first level. You know what the statistics are the past few years? Tithing in the body of Christ, 5 to 7 percent. 5 to 7 percent give 10 percent or more of their income to the local church. Only 5 to 7 percent of every person says that he or she is a believer. So most people never even get to the first level. And again, let me remind you what the first level is. It's 10 percent of your gross income to the church undesignated. Because see, people love to control with their money. I want this going here, and I want this going here, I want this going here. Well, you can't designate it because it's not yours, the first 10%. You can designate offerings over and above. You can give them anywhere you want, and you can designate them to certain ministries, but not the tithe. And it's 10% of the gross, not the net. Most people never, ever get to the first level. But let me tell you this. Every person, every person that gets to the first level gets to the second level. Do you know Why? Because if they tithe, the curse is removed, the devourer is rebuked, and the windows of heaven are opened over them. So much so, God says, I pour out blessing on you, so much that you won't even have room enough to receive it. In other words, you've got to give more away. So every person gets to the first level gets to the second level. They'll begin giving over and above. And most people that never get to the first level, or all people that never get to the first level, it's so sad because they never have the curse removed. Never. They never have the devourer rebuked. And they never have the windows of heaven open over them. So, everyone that gets the first level will go to the second. And then a few people will go to the third level. They'll have a time in their life when God speaks and they give something extravagant. She gave something extravagant. Do you realize she didn't know what she was giving it for? Have you ever thought about that? She didn't know where it was going? Here's what Jesus said. Leave her alone. She did this for my burial. You realize this is the only anointing that his body got for burial. No, no, no other anointing. Because the Sabbath was coming, so they had to get his body off the cross and in the tomb quickly, so they didn't have time to prepare it for burial. That's why they were coming back on Sunday morning. That's why they were coming back on resurrection morning. And they brought a hundred pounds of spices with them that morning. And she took a whole bottle. By the way, remember, she poured the whole thing out on him. So it would last, I guess. But she didn't even know what she was doing. We have uh, some friends and... Uh, they told me the story about the first year they were married. They didn't have very much at all, like most couples the first year they get married. And at the end of the year, they got this unexpected bonus. And it was a large amount. And it was just wonderful. They just, but as soon as they got it, they had this sense that it wasn't for them. And you think about, as a young married couple, all the things you could do with this unexpected money that was a large amount. But they knew it wasn't for them. And so they went down to the church where they were attending, and they went to the pastor, and they said, we, we got a bonus, and we just believe that it's, it, we're supposed to give it. And we don't know where it's supposed to go, but someone, something, we're just supposed to give this. And when they gave him the check, he told them, yesterday I met with a widow here in our church that can't pay her mortgage off, and she has to pay the whole thing, or they're going to foreclose on her. And he said, I wrote the amount down. That she told me yesterday that she, that she owes, and he pulled the amount out that the widow owed and held up the amount of the check, and it was exactly the same amount. Now, that's fun. That's the blessed life. And I want to tell you one more thing about generosity. I want to tell you about the reward of generosity. 
the reward of generosity. Now, look at Mark 14. This is the exact same story. I could read part of it to you, but I'd really like just just read the whole thing to you. It's, it's, it's good. But so you'll know it's the same story. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany, that's where it told us in John 12. It's also in Matthew 26. Same passage, same story. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask. That's what we just sang about, an alabaster jar. A very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. So she poured it on his head and his feet. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. She's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. That's what we were talking about just a moment ago. Assuredly, I say to you, now watch verse 9. This is different. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. By the way, you realize that that verse is a direct reference to my sermon this weekend. (laughs) We're preaching the gospel and we're talking about this, what she did. Here's, here's Here's what happened. She came not expecting a reward. She wasn't doing this to become famous or to get her name in the bestseller of all times. She's just coming to honor the Lord. And, and why would she do this? Why would she make such an extravagant gift? We talked about why it would bother Judas so much. But why would she make such an extravagant gift? Well, think about this. Her brother had just been raised from the dead two months before. Do you think her perspective of worldly possessions changed? You say, boy, it would change mine. Well, let me remind you of something. You've been raised from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he raised you up and made you alive and set you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It should change our perspective. Generosity comes out of gratitude. That's why she did it. And she didn't expect to be rewarded, but she got rewarded. You want to know why? Because God is a rewarder. Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can I tell you something about this word rewarder? It's the only time it's in the Bible. Matter of fact, if you, if you type this in, when I typed it in on my notes in Microsoft Word, it underlines it because it's not in the dictionary. This word rewarder, it's not there. And in the Greek... It's, it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. No other time. It's the only time it's in the Bible. And it's actually two Greek words put together. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what they mean, but I'm not going to tell you the names of them because you don't get excited when I tell you the names of Greek words. <clears throat> but it's two Greek words. One of them is a very, very, very common Greek word. It's in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, hundreds of times. It, it literally means to hire or to pay wages due, uh, due to a person. Whatever the wage is due to that person, you hire that person and pay them the wage, him the wage that is due. Okay? That's, it's very, very common. The other word is not as common, but it means to give extravagant, to give extravagantly over and above what is normally due the person. Okay, here's, here's what God, he puts these two together and he says, God is a person who will give you what's due and then extravagantly, extravagantly give you more than you deserve. 
And that's what he's saying. And he doesn't just say God does this. He says God is this. In other words, this is part of his character. So what I want you to understand is God cannot not reward you. You get my double negative there? God cannot not reward you. If you give with a pure heart, generously, you will be rewarded. Let me just say it this way. I'm sorry, but you're going to be rewarded and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm sorry. I cannot stop it because God's a rewarder. One of our elders, I asked him if I could use his name um, because he's actually shared this in his business seminars that he does. Steve Doolin uh, tells the story of a few years ago. He was, he was paying his bills. When he finished paying his bills, he looked down at the amount in his checking account, and he was just filled with gratitude. And he said, God, you've just been so good to me after paying everything. Look how much I have left over. And then he thought, I wonder how much I have in my savings account. And he went over and he looked at his savings account and he put the two figures together and he thought, you know, I wonder I have an investment account. I wonder how much is in the investment account. And he went and looked at that and then he thought, I wonder how much is in my retirement account. So he went and looked at that and so he added the numbers together and he got one number of all the cash, of all the money he had. And he thought, God, you're incredible. All the way down dollars and cents to the penny. He went to sleep, and the next day he was having his quiet time, and God interrupted him in his quiet time. You ever had that happen? You try and have a quiet time, and God just blurts something out. And the Lord said to him, how much money do you have? And his first thought was, I knew I shouldn't have added that up. (laughs) So he said, Lord, what do you mean? You mean, how much money do I have in my wallet? The Lord said, how much money do you have? He said, well, you mean in my checking account? Or what do you mean, Lord? What do you mean? The Lord said, how much money do you have? And he said, well, Lord, you you know how much I have. I have this much. And the Lord said, will you give it to me? And he said, just like all of us, anytime God speaks to you to do something extravagant, there's that first thought, just fear. The enemy attacks. Selfishness. And then all of a sudden he just had this wonderful peace. And he said, Lord... I'd love to give it all to you. So he and his wife got together and prayed, and they gave all of it away, every bit of it. And in the next business year, by the end of the business year, when he finished the next business year, the Lord said to him, go look at your accounts. He said, no, I'm okay. (laughs) So it's okay. I I believe you. I know that they're good. You bless me. The Lord said, no, go look at your accounts. So he went and he looked at his accounts. And he got the piece of paper out from the year before, and each account had exactly double, twice as much in one year. God blessed him. God said, you know what took you 20 years? I did in one. Never, it had never happened before in his company. It's never happened since. But in one year, God paid him back everything double. I'm telling you, God rewards generosity. And this is a battle. It's the age-old battle that every one of us have to fight. It's the battle between selfishness and generosity. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.